So ju just in summary, in summary, uh, talking about the apple market again, you can store apples, you can store apples, um, but you, there is no uh, lending market for apples. Okay, so when I said there were two things to consider, the ability to warehouse the good in question and the existence of a lending market for the good in question, the Apple market obviously only has the ability to warehouse. There is no market for Apple leases that I know of. Okay, so um, now I'm only going to spend 10-15 minutes on this part and then you can ask, this is meant to be question and answer session isn't it? Okay, maybe 20 minutes and then you can ask uh, any questions, any questions that you want. So now I'm going to give the example of, okay, yeah. So if you have a positive co-basis in the Apple market, which means you're given a premium to sell apples at the spot market and buy back the futures, it will be because there is a demand for apples for some reason. Carlo said apple pie season or something, you know, outside of the harvest season, which raises the bid on cash apples. There might not even be an offer for cash apples, spot apples, but that doesn't matter because all the warehouseman needs is a bid for cash apples, spot apples. And he sees the bid rising and he says, right, that's enough for me, I'll sell it there and buy back my future here, lock it in, go off on holiday. Now, he won't normally do that because if it stays in that situation, he's out of business if it stays like this. It won't stay like that, but if it did for some reason. Why? Because he could never carry anything profitably again. And he has overheads running a warehouse and staff and everything. So. Yes, it might be a one-off big payment, but then he might have to liquidate his warehouse if he can't make money carrying this, um, carrying apples, okay? So there will only be one reason why the Apple co-basis goes up. It's because there's a, there's a demand for, um, there's a demand for spot apples. So now we're going to look at a market which does have not only the ability to warehouse this good, but you can also lend it out. And this is where the concept of duration and maturity and the analogy with the banking system and the deposit system comes in. Okay? So copper is a very liquid market compared to the Apple market. Very liquid. And copper compared to the uh, gold market is like apples compared to the copper market. To get a more cake. So if I buy, let's say I want to go into the copper warehousing business. So I bought myself a warehouse, I borrowed money, bought a warehouse, 
and I look at the I look at the spot exchange for copper, which is at London, and I look at the listed futures exchange for copper, which is in New York. There's an over-the-counter forward market for copper in London, but that's not exchange traded. And I see, okay, I can buy copper at let's say, let's say this is copper's spot copper. Uh, 315, 316, and um, future 317, 318. So I say, okay, this is good because I can buy copper at 316. Sell future at 317, and at maturity I will get one dollar. So let's say this expires in six months. Now I've said that there is an active lending market for this good. So do you think that the warehouseman will just leave the copper in the warehouse for six months? What will he do with the copper? He'll lend. He'll lend. Okay. He'll lend the copper out. How long? What's the maximum period he should lend it out for? Thirty years. Keith is jumping the gun there. <laughs> okay. Anything up to six months. Okay. And it's perfectly legitimate to do that. So there you go. Got my warehouse here. Let's say this is my warehouse. And this is my copper. Bought my copper, sold the future. Call up my other broker who deals in the copper leasing market. And he says you can get, let's say, 0.2% for a 5.9999 month lease. And he says, okay, I'll take it. So the copper goes out of the warehouse to the broker, and I'm just left with this short futures contract, nothing in my warehouse, and people like Gatta go, you're, you're committing fraud. Okay, and it's obviously not fraudulent, really. You better have a lease contract as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't sort of put that on your... Well, you should put it on your balance sheet. Well, yes. You should. You should. Okay? So, in this example, and I'm talking... Um, I'm not going to differentiate between the, um, the, the carry and the de-carry here, because we'll get into sort of four different pairs of things. Um, so, I'm just going to talk about the carry So... We said that the future is related to the spot times the interest rate. Interest rates. Do you have a handout that's going to have all this? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Spot interest rate 
So this is the gold in the rate of interest denominated in, in gold terms at the moment. The interest rate minus the uh, lease rate, copper lease rate. Okay, so obviously that the fact exists that I can make 0.2% by lending out copper in the interim will be incorporated in the marginal carry that you can get anyway. I was just giving it in that example to show how it works in terms of order of, um, but obviously the, the premium that you can get here will have already incorporated not only the interest rates but the lease rates as well. Okay? Well, what interest rate is that? That's money interest rate, interest rate on money for the relevant time period. So you can think of it as the relevant LIBOR rate. Okay, and the lease rate is what you can use copper? Copper. This is copper. This is, this is all under a gold standard and I'm talking about uh, copper. So interest rates are gold denominated in this example. Okay? Now, um, futures markets. So the person that buys this futures contract uh, is normally one of a speculator, a, I don't know, pension fund, or, um, you know, you can name lots of things, whoever buys copper futures. But the point is that the vast majority of these people are not allowed to um, take delivery of the underlying copper. So anyone, um, so there's a directive in the, um, in the European Union that says that if you want your funds sold to the public, you can't store real things like copper. You can do futures, but you're not allowed to buy the, uh, the copper or something like that. So the warehouseman sort of has an idea. <laughs> he says, um, well, I only get 0.2% for lending it out for 5.99 months. And I know that the person that I sold this to will roll to the next contract so I can actually lend it out, as Keith said, for 30 years, obviously not that much, maybe for, for two years. Why? Because the, the uh, interest rate for a two-year copper lease will be usually what compared to the interest rate for a five-month copper lease? Higher. Higher. Okay. So there is an incentive to do it, a fraudulent incentive. So. Um, he would buy the copper. This is now a dodgy warehouseman, copper market, remember, still under a gold standard. And he sells, um, he leases it for seven months, say. And that all works very well um, until um, there, is, there is a need by the person who bought the future to take underlying delivery. It could be suddenly, you know, all of the pension funds could have got out of copper for some reason and sold their futures to, I don't know, to me. And I say, right, I want all of the copper 
when these, when these futures expire. I've got no restriction. I can hold physical copper. And then the warehouseman starts to panic. <laughs> he starts to panic because my, my future will expire in five months when I expect my copper and he's only got a copper lease which matures in seven months. So what does he do? Okay, well, of course he doesn't know that um, I want to take delivery until you're meant to, to give notice that you want to take delivery. And then he'll start panicking. So uh, as that sort of uh, period approaches, what will happen is yes, the copper warehouse is empty, but that would be naturally the case anyway if you were legitimate. And it's also the case if, you, if you're illegitimate. So what happens is he goes into the, um, the copper leasing market and he starts to borrow, borrow, and borrow copper. And what happens is he causes the lease rate to become elevated. And what? If the lease rate goes above the market rate of interest, what will happen? It will go into backwardation. Backwardation. Because interest rate minus the lease rate will be... Um, uh, there, there should be a 1 plus. 1 plus. Yeah. yeah. Plus. Because then the spot price will be lower than the futures price. Okay? Um, <coughs> so you can see that there is actually sort of two reasons why it would go into backwardation. Because there's just a marginal need for more copper. It's exacerbated by the fact that I've actually lent it out for much longer um, than I should have. So if there was, let's say, for some reason, a massive spike in the price, in the bid for spot copper, and my leases are arranged in proper maturity, 5.99 months, whatever, um, then there's no problem. Because come expiry, you'll have the copper, and uh, it's, it's just... It's not really relevant, per se, to him that it's in backwardation. It's only relevant to the person that, um, that was being uh, fraudulent in the way that they treated their, uh, their leasing. Actually, yeah. if it was in backwardation, he would have a bonus to, to unwind his carry earlier, right? No, but he's lent it out there. Oh, right. So yeah. No. yeah. So... Um, so that's the difference that I want to make sure that you all understand, is that if there is a leasing market involved for the underlying good for futures, that automatically implies that there's a warehousing ability for that good, obviously. Then the dynamics of how backwardation occurs is much more subtle than someone just saying there's a demand for copper or there's a demand for apples. Okay, it's because they have not matched their maturities from their leases, from their leasing uh, of copper and their futures obligations. And can everyone see how that is similar to lending out six-month money for ten years? 
And how does that manifest itself? Well, if you lend out six month money for 10 years, LIBOR spikes up at some point, as it did during the crisis. For example, LIBOR at the moment is a heavily subsidized rate. At the moment right now, even though it says 0.2% on your Bloomberg terminal or whatever, it's more like 6%. But because of the, uh, the deeds that they're doing, the market rate is, is, is only at 0.2%. So the, so the analogy there to LIBOR spiking up would be going into a massive backwardation. So um, that, is, that completes the analysis for, the, um, for, the, for a market that has not only the warehousing ability, but the underlying leasing market as well. Rudy? But also told that the lease rate was spiking up, that's the same as the backwardation. Yeah. Yeah. But a lease rate spiking up will not, should not cause the legitimate warehouseman to worry. Only the, uh, the illegitimate. Only the illegitimate one. Okay. So, um, very. I'm not going to talk about this in detail because it's actually quite, um, quite complicated. Um, but gold, gold was once money, and um, obviously interest rates were denominated in terms of gold. Now, um, if you think about it, under a gold standard, a gold futures market will be flat. Why? Because um, the cost to borrow gold will be the market interest rate for gold, and you can lend it out for the market interest rate in the interim. So lo and behold, the price of gold now will be the price of gold, will be the same as the price of gold forward for any time period, more or less. There are marginal differences, but that's to do with the spread between the actual bid and the offer on the spot. So when uh, Nixon demonetized gold, well, he didn't demonetize it. There's no one that can change the, uh, the will of the common will of mankind, which has been established for many, many thousands of years. He closed the gold window. He closed the gold window. He likes to think he demonetized it and got it out of the system. So what happened? Did the gold interest rate suddenly just disappear? Of course it didn't. Of course not. They called it a gold lease rate, tried to put it in a similar class of commodity as copper, and say, yeah, sure, people need to borrow and lend gold, but they're only um, miners and hedgers and uh, central banks and blah, blah, blah. But prior to that, we all used to borrow and lend gold. And after he did that, it was only the hedges, the miners, and the hedge funds that were active in the borrowing and lending of gold. So, um, what happened then is that you had a you had the futures price of gold squiggles spot.
one plus um, paper rate. This is the rate on irredeemable dollars. Minus the gold, and I'm going to call it what it should be called, the gold interest rate. Because uh, under a gold standard, legitimate gold standard, what was the what was the relationship between these two? Pretty much. Yeah. So you can see how future gold would be the um, the spot gold. And um, when he created irredeemable dollars. He separated the two out like that. Now, all right, very well, and then you have a gold market. And it's always the case that you can manipulate the paper rate or the rate on irredeemable paper to be higher than the gold interest rate. If gold interest rates suddenly spike, you can, you can jack up your irredeemable dollar rate twice as high and you can keep the market in contango. But if you need to bring the irredeemable paper rate down, obviously you can do that indefinitely, but there is a limit, obviously, to how far you can bring down what? The gold interest rate. So whilst you may be able to keep everything in contango in a rising interest rate environment, in a falling interest rate environment, you can't necessarily do what you intend to do because you can't manipulate the gold lease rate below some lower bound. Because you, what do you need for that? You need as much gold as you can get your hands on to bash down the lease rate. And there's only a limit that you can do that for. So, um, and again, with the gold market, you can imagine the kind of mismatches that have been there from the, uh, from the futures market perspective. You know, gold on the futures, on the COMEX exchange, probably has been lent for 30 years. You know. Has been? Yeah, it probably has been. So, um, there are all kinds of problems in the gold market, in the gold futures market. But again, it's more to do with the, um, the lack of um, association between futures written and the duration of the gold leases. Okay? Um, so that's it sort of for, 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 for now. Um, that might be a bit complicated, but it's all going to be sort of on the handout that Ludwig will give you um, afterwards. Um, so now, if there are any uh, questions, please sort of uh, go ahead. Mark. At the end of the morning session, you mentioned something um, regarding data. Mm. How to, I don't know how you could, how to, uh, yeah, Gatter think that the gold market is um, 
is fraudulent because there are too many futures against gold in the warehouse. But that would naturally be the case anyway. It's just that you can do that fraudulently or you can be legitimate. So they're arguing about an observation that would happen in a legitimate market anyway. So that's why they're a bit naive. But they're nice guys. So a potential fraud, if there is one, or is, is there one, would concern these rates? Would be concerning the, yeah, lending the gold out for a longer period than the futures contracts you've got uh, written. Yes. Yeah. So they basically got it right, but technically in the wrong arguments. No, they haven't got it right. They haven't got it right because they're saying they're saying that there are too many futures against the amount of. Forget about gold. Okay, let's say they were saying this about copper. That would naturally be the case anyway. My warehouse will be empty. If I've written a six-month future, it will be empty for 5.99 months, you know, until I have to give the... Uh, so it will look, I'm short one future. Comex are not going to give the leasing obligations of their, under, of their contract underwriters out. No way. Um, but that would be the reason. Yeah, Louis. Well, differently than saying simply that GATA is ignoring the leasing and they're just assuming that there's a lot of naked, yes, naked yeah. shorts because they're they're ignoring the possibility that the metal has been leased. Yeah, yeah. To add for a, for a shorter duration. Hmm. Yeah. Really. Sandy, one of the things about this is that. What has been leased out cannot come back because mm. that has been the leasers sold it out, mm. and that's and it's around our it. necks. I'm sorry. And it's around our necks and yes, on our yes, cuts right. and in our pockets. So it, it wasn't the one who, not the warehouse people, mm. who are actually responsible, but the next level down mm. because they leased the gold, they they sold what they leased, and how did they expect to get it back? Uh, yes, yes, but uh, maybe they, it, was, it was lent to a miner, though. You know, that's the only legitimate loan, gold loan, in the current environment. It's a, it's a loan to a miner. I mean, isn't it, the, the higher the open interest, the more the possibility it is? I mean, in the silver market, the open interest is even bigger, isn't it? Say it again, sorry. I mean, isn't there a, a certain amount of open interest that indicates that mm. something is wrong with the futures market? No. No. There's so no boundary. Do you have data from, from, from other markets that traded for decades or for, for years in a certain... There won't be... Um, well, first of all, Silver hasn't defaulted yet, so there's been no open interest that says that you're at danger period just yet. Just yet. Um, but no, saying that there's a, a limit to open interest is like saying there's a limit to the size of the financial system. If you only have 100,000 tons of gold, that means you can only have a $5 trillion financial system. That's, a, that's incorrect. Well, if, 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 if,
got the paper financial system and the gold market. I mean, that's very different to, to a real gold system where, where you can then based on the on the gold, which is which has the trust. So, so I mean, there's no credit trio eroding, no trust erosion possible. But in our financial system, the trust erosion in paper markets does. Perfect. Now it's yes. Now it's yes. Obviously, there will be some point when there will just be confidence lost in the ability to um, for the COMEX market to function. And if you sort of, for example, and I'll talk very quickly about silver. Quickly mention Ludwig has been um, has been keeping a log of the. Uh, of the movements into and out of COMEX warehouses of silver and gold. There's now more silver at the COMEX exchange than there was at the beginning of the year. Now normally, <clears throat> when something goes into backwardation, it will, pull it will pull that commodity from the ends of the solar system. As people sell that cash commodity and buy the future and warehouse stocks will go through the roof now silver has been in a backwardation for very for the very far contracts a mild backwardation for the very far contracts for about how long now about seven eight months yeah so what has happened in the interim well lo and behold it has it has brought in silver to the exchange from some naive person who wants to take advantage of this backwardation. And it probably will be okay for the moment in terms of the, um, if you want your silver in, in, in exchange for the future expiring, it probably will be okay for another year or so. But at some point that poor chap is going to be not handed back a um, his cash silver, which he sold for a um, premium, he'll be handed back a silver lease, which says that you can have silver whenever the chap lends it out for. This is equivalent to debt approaching zero.